We've been speaking with Patrick Smith of Disenthrall, and we're going over this analogy, this island analogy that Larkin Rose came up with. And we're trying to figure out, you know, if we were in a, a little bit different world, how would we make things work? And we've been talking about how would we, uh, how would we come up with money? Is money necessary? Is that what we would need to exchange things of value for other things of value? And we talked about, you know, if one person had a bunch of wild boars, how would you trade those uh, for somebody removing a splinter from your finger. And so let's get back into it uh, right here on the Let's Think Show with Shepard the Voluntarist, that's me, and Patrick Smith. Uh, what else could be used on an island? Uh, well, money represents value. And when you make a trade, you're trading value for value. And uh, it doesn't matter. Like, it would be really hard to carry around a boar on your back you know, as you went through the market and like, okay, I'll, I'll trade you a, a quarter of this boar for a fish and, uh, you know, some fish and I'll, I'll trade you another quarter of the boar. And maybe somebody's like, well, no, a quarter of the boar. That's, that's not much. I want to, you know, <laughs> I don't know, three eighths <laughs> of a boar, you know, it's like, right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, so, uh, you know, it, it helps to have a, a fungible currency, um, a fungible divisible currency which are just fancy words for, you know, something that can divide value down into small chunks that, uh, you know, every bit of which is sort of valued equally. So like my dollar for, to put it in dollar terms, right? Like my $1 bill is worth the same to me as your $1 bill. And the individual item is, is not important. So I, I don't know what that would be on an Island scenario. I think this is a tough one for, you know, only yeah. 150 people. Yeah. And I wonder at what point, I don't have an answer for this. I wonder at what point a group of people, it would get too complex. Like if there were only two separate parties, you wouldn't need money. Uh, three, you'd still probably get along without. And I wonder at what point it would be handy. I don't know. But the conch shells I mentioned, I don't know when this was, but thousands of years ago, they were actually used as a medium of exchange. I think on the African continent somewhere over there, they they used conch shells and that was their store of value, even though the shell itself wasn't worth that much. Everybody agreed. Well, everybody that wanted to agree that it would be worth it uh, would. As we've kind of looked at these issues, we haven't addressed everything, obviously, because society is complex. But I don't know. I kind of, I think that after the show, I'm going to really try to think of other problems that come up in society. What, like, what are some of the uh, reasons that you've heard well-intentioned people say, hey, you know, you're suggesting that we don't have a government. This is a problem. What, what other things am I missing that you've heard people say or government's needed for? The number one ob ob objection is uh, the warlords. So without a centralized justice and protection system, um, ah. then you're going to get, you know, maybe one of the guys on the island. Let's see who's, who's probably most likely to, uh, to do this. Not, not grandma Clarice, probably not. Yeah. She'll, she'll uh, probably be good. Now, big John is a big, tough martial arts dude. Yeah. But if he's good enough to be in martial arts, he's probably has enough discipline. He's not going <laughs> to be a knucklehead. <laughs> yeah. So maybe one of the 150 people starts figuring out that, um, you know, if he bullies people, he can start to get away with it um, in the short term because he's tough. Or maybe he's got a small group of friends 
that uh, you know kind of work together to defend themselves. And so, like the the warlords argument kind of comes from here, right? Without without a centralized, a forcibly monopolized uh, group of defenders, i.e., the police, then you're going to have um, you know warlords develop. There there will be people on the island that will force sort of their will onto everyone else. Well, on this island analogy or example we're thinking about, what could be a, I don't know, what could be a solution to that? If, uh, I don't know, let's say, let's say Pam and uh, who's the guy, Donnie, they're the kind of the two bad guys we've talked about. Uh, Pam and Donnie stop stealing fish and writing bad checks and pooping in the river and they decide to start being bully warlords. What would you do? Well, you and I, we're both big guys, so we kind of know what we would do. But what would poor Clarice do? I mean, that, that's just it. They, they would need um, other people to help them um, gain some kind of protection. Uh, and you would want to find people that could protect you without becoming sort of warlords on their own. And so now you have, again, we're back to being an entrepreneur. How as an entrepreneur, do you solve the market need of providing protection from people, but also part of the market need is some kind of guarantee that you're not going to turn into a warlord yourself. Once you sort of amass resources from people like that is a market need with a, uh, an obstacle. And that needs to be part of your sales pitch to me. Cause if I'm Clarice and somebody comes up to me and is like, Hey, uh, I'll offer you, I'll offer you protection. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah Benny <laughs> I'm going to be like well I'm not going to sign up for your service uh, unless you can sort of maybe we have a third party that that gets to watch what you do or follow follows you around and maybe you have to put up uh, you know a thousand conch shells or whatever <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, as some kind of bond security bond or trustworthiness bond and you lose that money uh, the moment this third party evaluates you to, you know, maybe going down a bad path or becoming a threat yourself. Right. That, that sounds like a, a good possible solution. Cause I don't think, I, I think Clarice would really want to watch out and make sure that all of a sudden whoever offered to give her protection didn't start coming and stealing her bananas and the fish that she gets, or at least a portion of them and saying, no, I'm stealing these from you so I can survive and stay strong so that I can protect you. Because that's kind of a, that's silly and ridiculous. I know, but she'd probably want to make sure that didn't happen. Um, So yeah, that sounds like a, tell me if you, if you agree or not, maybe I'm wrong, but this sounds like another weakness of the small number of people in an Island situation. Like if you scale this up to to you know something like a state or a country size number of people um you're you're always going to have far less sort of bad guy gang members than you are like the ratio of bad guys to normal people is going to be much different than it would be on an island of only 150 people so like if 10 of the people on the island banded together that ratio is a lot different than it would be in real life uh, in a real state of existence right Right. Well, that is a good point. I'm going to flip, switch, flip, whatever. I'm going to do something to the gears. Uh, what do you think, <laughs> completely separate from this analogy, are most people good or are most people bad? I think most people are generally good. Uh, I think Martin Luther King sort of proved that with how he went about his activism to end race, racism, racial discrimination. Um, and he did that by 
oh, I'm going to butcher the quote and I hate when I butcher it, but it was something like, um, you know, we will win you over with our capacity to suffer. And like, he did not go, go about affecting hearts and minds with violence. He went about it through peaceful marches and peaceful protests that specifically elicited um, attacks from other people. And when normal, when normies, when the everyday, this is getting back to your point, when the, when everyday Americans saw this group attacking this other group that was being peaceful, that affected the hearts and minds of the average everyday person to see, you know, cause we innately see who the bad guy is. It's whoever's starting the fight, whoever's, whoever's attacking the peaceful people. That to me speaks to, I think most people are generally good. They, they generally know who the bad guy is and what is right and wrong. I agree completely. I spent uh, just a little under 10 years as a cop and uh, worked in a jail, sixth largest jail system in the country for a while. So I got to be around a lot of people that had been locked up that most people would say were the worst of worst of society. Like the, they're that tiny percentage of the people that truly are bad. But even among those folks, very few in my observation were really bad they were they were maybe a little bit rebellious, but uh, maybe they didn't go along with the uh, the way they should do things. Maybe they stole some fish. Maybe they pooped upstream. But this is they weren't really bad, and and they could be reasoned with. Not everybody, obviously. I'm not not that naive, but for the most part, I think there are very few really truly bad guys out there. It's been my experience. I. I- just remembered that you used to be a cop. Now I want to interview you on my show about this. This is going to be a great conversation. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you probably have a better window into it than I do. You have a professional uh, sort of opinion on it. Yeah. And I don't know that I know any more than you do about it. Cause you've, you've experienced life just like I have. And, and quite frankly, as a cop back when I was a cop, I would love it when you'd go to the spaghetti dinner fundraiser and the person up front would say, you know, all the all the cops and military stand up. We would like to show you honor and for your bravery and protecting us. And uh, I, I would always just puff up my chest and stand up and look at my wife with pride in my eyes. But then later, as I became a more mature cop, I kind of realized, no, even in my little tiny town, the average response time was nine minutes. Mm. Anything scary was done by the time I got there. You know, once in eight years in the one agency, once in eight years did I really grab a guy, his arm, as he was getting ready to punch his wife. That was the only time that I really, truly protected somebody in eight years Costs about a hundred grand a year to put a cop on the street. So eight hundred thousand dollars it cost to keep her from getting punched. I mean, that's the the real good I did. So I, I don't know that I saw holy crap. <laughs> I, I didn't see that much bad. It was a small town, but it was still enough that even in the jail, it wasn't that bad. Uh, there there was a system that that things did kind of work, you know. And and I'm wondering if our listeners would be willing, I'm going to speak to directly to you guys instead of Patrick for a moment. There are some things that I hope we have completely fouled up and we have completely missed big hunks that we should have thought of. Uh, If you would go to letsthinkshow.com, get in touch and let us know, let me, let me know what, what's wrong? What, what am I missing? What, what are Patrick and I, what are we just completely glossing over? 
And then maybe in the future, I haven't asked Patrick this yet, but would you be willing to come on again and maybe address some of those things with me, Patrick? Oh, man, I'm having the time of my life. We'll do this every day if you want, man. (laughs) 